Worthy is the Lamb. Oh, amen. Amen, brother. Well, this morning, I hope we can continue to build a case for the, the King and the Lamb's ongoing and immeasurable worthiness. And as our young ones are leaving uh, to head to their special place of discipleship, pray for our workers in the in Gospel Hope Kids who have chosen to give up some of their Sundays to make sure that our youngest ones hear the gospel as well. Well, as many of you know, we are now reaching or have reached the end of our series entitled Going Against the Grain. And the purpose of the series was to equip us with fresh encouragement and even examples of what it might mean to go against the current tide of culture, to go against the grain of maybe some moments where our fears and ambitions might inform us to take a direction other than where God was going. And we needed our faith to be strengthened, and that's a part of what the Word of God does, right? Um, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so we, um, this morning, as we close that out, I want to put a, a, I guess, a cap or tie a bow on the series entitled in this way, To Be Continued. To Be Continued. Um, reason for that is, even though we are ending the series, there is so much more to say about this topic, and much of which can be found if you continue to read throughout uh, this uh, section of the scriptures that I've uh, kind of, I think, taught you in previous weeks. It's known as the monarchical history of Israel. But uh, before we get uh, too deep into our text, let us go ahead and pray and ask for God's help. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're thankful to you this morning for all that you have disclosed to us, whether we've been here from the very first message in this series or whether or not we find ourselves here only for this last one. Would you help our hearts to be open fully to what you want to say to us? Would you guard our hearts against the distractions of the day? Lord God, help us to safeguard our hearts and minds from the tyranny, Lord God, of the typical things that are real responsibilities, things that are not evil in any way, but we can find ourselves doing them and not hearing from you, totally and completely distracted. Lord God, would you deliver us from that? Would you give us laser focus on your ideals and on your principles? Would you, Heavenly Father, Open up the scriptures today and allow us to see the strength and beauty of your word. The consummate beauty, Lord God, of how you speak from testament to testament, from cover to cover. How you reveal yourself, Lord God, through pictures in the Old Testament and principles in the new, undeniably tied together. Would you, Lord God, help us to experience the fullness of what your word teaches and that it is good for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness that we will be thoroughly furnished for every good work. Would you, O oh God, allow us to experience a demonstration of your spirit? Would you please clarify the gospel? Would you beautify your son? Would you equip us for your work? Would you show us 
a fresh aspect of yourself or either underscore a one that we need to have more faith in, Lord God, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth as a product of today's message. Lord God, will we pull these truths to us rather than trying to pitch them over to someone else that we wish was here? Will we fully dial in knowing, Lord God, that this is a moment that you've carved out for us to hear from you? Would you deliver mail right to our address? You know our situation, oh God. Would you deliver a word, a timely word to our hearts? Lord God, deliver to each heart, Lord God, something that I could never know anything about, but only you would, and it would cause all of us to be brought to our knees knowing that we have had an audience with you, the one true and living God. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as we close out the series, we are going to be taking a look at two sections of Scripture. might seem somewhat odd to you, but we're going to be looking at 2 Kings chapters 1 and 2, and we'll look at them simultaneously, 2 Kings chapters 1 and 2. I'm going to read for you just a, a brief snippet from the beginnings of both of those chapters, and in a moment you will find out exactly why. In 2 Kings chapter 1, beginning with verse 1 down to verse 4, it reads as follows. After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall rec recover from this sickness. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise and go up to meet these messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from your bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And so Elijah went. Now flip your attention over to 2 Kings chapter 1, or 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha, two different people, I'll explain that in a moment, were on their way, on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went to, down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha, that's E-L-I-S-H-A, and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know. Keep quiet. What's going on here in these two texts? Well, to help you appreciate what's happening, I need to ask you a question. Has anyone here ever been demoted? Anybody ever been demoted? That's not a comfortable place. Put your hand if you've ever been demoted. Or just kind of say gently amen. There we go. There we go, some honest people. Have you ever been demoted? Demotion is not fun at all, right? Um, I was telling the first service, man, I remember... I was about in the first five to six years of my career, and I mean, just absolutely taken off like a rocket, four to five promotions, one after the other, things were going great. And then I realized this rocket had no landing gear, which means it's not a spaceship, it's a missile. <laughs> and so, needless to say, there came this moment where I got demoted. 
And uh, as the word sounds, as ugly as it is, it didn't feel great emotionally. As a matter of fact, it was absolutely horrible. It was a terrible feeling. It was, I hated getting the news even though I could see it coming from 100 miles away. I hate the way it felt. I, helped the, I, I hate the, the way the person's mouth looked as they were saying it. I hate the way they even set it up when they put it in my calendar to come and see me to talk about it. I hate the, I hated seeing them uh, and, I, and I hated having to explain to others, hey, what was that meeting about? I, I hated seeing this other person doing what I rightfully believe to be my job. Absolutely hated it. And then the Lord did something. He allowed me to see what the demotion was all about. And it wasn't about my performance. We can get into that later over some coffee. But, but the Lord allowed me to see uh, something happening. And I said, oh, my gosh. Lord, I thank you for that demotion because the, the way that this person's life who was in my job began to crumble because of some new responsibilities that they had, I knew that the Lord had actually not demoted me. He had actually promoted my family and my marriage. I hated demotions. Hated a demotion. Hated it. Hated it. Career would start off again and, and I would be in a position where I would demote others. And because I hated the way demotions felt, I decided to rebrand them. Whenever I needed to demote someone, I wouldn't call it a demotion. I would call it realignment with an assignment that is better suited for your future success and the well-being of this organization. I mean, who would not want to get called into a meeting for that? Realignment with an assignment that is better suited for your success and the good of this organization? As a matter of fact, take out your phones, text your boss right now. Tell them that on Monday you would like reassignment, realignment to a new assignment that is better suited for your success and that and the well-being of the organization, right? And see what you get. Some of you may even get promoted. Uh, I, I share that because, you know, while demotions are not fun, there is a sense in which they are absolutely necessary. And we're reading an occasion in the scripture today where I believe that a demotion is necessary. You see, King Ahaziah, who is sitting on the throne of Israel, and Samaria in particular, needs a demotion. And Elisha, the servant and disciple of Elijah, is in a season in his life where he also needs a little bit of a demotion, but he just said no it. And I believe that you and I likewise find ourselves in a, in a regular spaces where we need demotions too. And here's why. And that is because a, de a devotion to God's will demands a demotion of my own. We naturally like to be the kings and queens and captains and sovereigns of our own ship our own lives, our own kingdoms. We were born this way. We were bred this way. We were built this way. Even culturally, we are told to call our own shots and to pave our own way, to have high levels of confidence and to believe the best about ourselves. And I don't want to put a pin in anybody's confidence or maybe you're just kind of getting out of a sunken place today, but I do want to tell you that if you're going to be devoted to God's will, there is going to come a time and there must be a demotion of your own will. You see, when we look at 2 Kings chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice and he was injured. 
And as you heard the scripture say, in summary, he sought another God other than the one true God of Israel to speak into the situation. He was trying to dodge God's word. And then you have in the other chapter, you have Elisha who knows God is about to do something with his master, Elijah, and he doesn't want it to happen and he clings to him. He needs to not, he needs to, he's not trying to necessarily dodge God's word, but he does want to delay his will. And I believe that every single one of us in this room regularly finds ourselves in that place. I want to dodge God's word or either I want to delay the outcomes of his will in my life because I don't like something about these potential outcomes. And in order to be a person who really is devoted to God's will, I am going to have to serve a demotion to my own. A question that we need to ask ourselves is why does Ahaziah want to dodge God's word? You see, Ahaziah, again, finds himself in a situation where, where he has suffered an injury. He has fallen down. He's gotten into a situation that he can't fix on his own, which this world is actually wired for that. The, the world, our world has been wired to cause us to inquire of God. The New Testament puts it this way. And he has made from, he has made one man or every man or every person, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth and having determined allotted periods of time and the boundaries of their dwellings, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Acts chapter 17 in that verse tells us that my world is wired in such a way that when I reach a boundary, either a boundary by way of my time or my circumstances, a boundary of my ability, something that I cannot do on my own, that I would seek God and he wants to be sought in this way. Our world is wired to cause us to inquire as to who God is. Romans would put it this way, that the world has been subjected to, to futility so that we out of the futility and the fallenness and brokenness of this world might find the sufficiency of God. And so our world has been wired to cause us to inquire of God. And so Ahaziah reaches out, but not to the one true God. He reaches out to another God, Beelzebub, to find out if he is going to survive this fall. Now, the rest of the story goes as follows. Once he falls and he finds out that Elijah has spoken that you will not recover, he then sends three separate troops of 50 men to arrest Elijah. The first group go and visit Elijah, and the captain yells out and says, hey, Elijah, if you're up there, come down. The captain wants to talk to you about this, or the king wants to talk to you. And Elijah says, well, if I'm the man of God, let fire come down and consume you. And fire comes down and consumes the first troop of 50. Ahaziah, the king, sends another troop to go after Elijah. Elijah says the same thing. Fire comes down, consumes the second troop of 50. He sends a third troop to go get Elijah. But this time, the captain of that troop says, well, hang on, would you have mercy on us and just kind of hear us out? And the Spirit of the Lord speaks to Elijah. He goes down and he talks to Ahaziah and he says this, because, because you didn't come ask me, you're going to die from this fall. In other words, because you sought a God other than me. But why would Ahaziah want to seek somebody other than the one true God? Why do we want a word other than a word that comes from God? Here is why. There are five reasons, and I want to outline them for you. 
This is a note taker's dream that will all be on the screen. Number one, we want to avoid hearing from a source. We want to go to sources other than God and want to avoid his word, dodge his word, because we feel he has a tendency to not speak favorably to our situation. Ahaziah would have probably gotten this from his dinner times at home with Ahab. You see, his father and his father's father all found themselves in the crosshairs of God's will. Not because God meant bad for them, but because they were often doing something that goes against the grain of God's desire for Israel and led his people accordingly. So when they got a word from the Lord, it always seemed like it was contrary to their own desires. Because it was. They weren't prepared for a demotion of their own will. And so I too, you too, when we feel that God has a tendency not to speak favorably, we do not want to consult him. We would rather hear from someone else. Number two, what causes us to want a word from sources other than God? When we know that something about ourselves may have to change once he speaks. I, hey, I know God probably has the best possible solutions around town, but man, he's going to demand a change in me personally. Number three, why do we seek a word from sources other than God. We do this when we forget that he has been faithful and true all the time. There's just something about us that just forgets. We're very selective in our remembrance of how God works and that he has been performing quite well and he's been true. If you think about Ahaziah, if he's been growing up in these royal families, certainly at dinner time, someone has come home complaining about Elijah came to town again. And, and, and bad-mouthing Elijah, have you done that? Have you ever been sitting at home and somebody comes home and they're, they're talking badly about their pastor or somebody else, and then does someone go, well, was what he said true? Well, they ain't got nothing to do with it. He's just a rude guy. <laughs> That's what happens in the ministry of Elijah. They may not have liked his style, but man, you couldn't question his content. And this is not a message to justify anything that I'm saying, by the way. I just thought you'd get a kick out of that. <laughs> But hey, I've done it too. I've come home complaining about a coworker or complaining about a boss, just about how much I don't, I don't like it when they come in and they do this and they say that, and then someone goes, well, is what they're, and then my wife will say, well, well, well it, but what they're saying is true. We forget that, that even when God says something that is, that is tight for our personal circumstances, was it right? We forget that, and that causes us to want to seek sources other than God. Number four, we'll seek sources other than God to speak into our situations when we hope that the other source can offer a better solution than the Lord's. Just maybe there's some other options out there. We're bred for this. As people, we're all shoppers, right? I go looking for somewhere, the price of it is this at one place. Well, certainly I need two to three more bids on this, or I need to go to two to three other venues. We're just built that way in the way we live our lives. And we bring some of that into our relationship with the Lord. Number five, when we've committed to our own way and we only desire this other source to confirm our will. I've, already, I've just committed to it. I'm just committed. I've already vetted my, my, my solution for this issue. I've already vetted. I've already got my position and opinion. I've already got my dream and my ambition. 
and I just need a God to give me a divine stamp on the direction that I've already chosen. So of course I'm going to seek a source that says what I want them to say. These are reasons that cause us to dodge God's Word. Now what might that look like in the Bible? Or what might that look like in a contemporary life of a believer like yourself? I've got my head down, I'm committed to doing something, I will stop reading my Bible for sake of not coming across something that will conflict where I'm feeling and where I'm heading. I will stop praying on the off chance that God might convict me because I don't want that. I will cease to go to church or I'll come to church, but I'll make sure that I'm not in here during the message. I'll just be here for the worship because I can soothe my wounds with the worship, but I am not interested in the antiseptic spray of the word on my wound. Oh, you know about antiseptic spray, don't you? I, I learned that there are some sprays that my, public, my parents put on me that are no longer available on the market. I guess the FDA said that stuff is no longer approved. But I remember distinctly growing up and we would fall down and we would have these abrasions. And I mean, you know, like the, the white meat was showing. Anybody know about that is? Right? When black people fall down, there is a layer right before you bleed of skin that turns like ivory. If you've never, just hang out, just hang close if you've never seen this before. And all of a sudden it just feels just like, oh, this is a real, I'm really skint up, as we would say. And then we would go home and we would share that with our parents and they would have this spray, this antiseptic spray that they would spray in it. I'm getting some amens, bro. They listen to you. Mom would spray this stuff in there and I'm like, the spray is worse than the fall. It's stinging. What is it doing? And she would say something like, well, you know, it's sucking out the poison or it's removing the, it's removing the infection. This, the spray is fighting. No. And so I hated the sting of the solution more than I did the healing that it was going to provide. And I believe this is why we avoid and dodge God's word because we know that there is a sting when it first makes contact with that injury or that area of our life. And we don't believe that the sting is a part of what it's supposed to do. And so I would think, I would think, mom, you can't possibly care about me. How could you want to put that on me? This is what we say about God. Lord, you seem to be breaking me more. You can't care about me. This is not the kind of caress that I see in your word. I want comfort. What are you doing? Why is this burning? Why am I feeling more deeply convicted about why I where I currently am? I don't want your word. I'm going to dodge your word. But let me reassure you with this mouthful. If this, I don't even know if this fits on the screen. But the quality of God's plan is backed by an eternity of wisdom which fully anticipates every facet of our frail lives. Amen. The Bible put it much more succinctly or maybe more beautifully this way, Jeremiah 29 verses 10 and 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. Psalm 103, verse 14, for he, that is God, knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. You see, when my mom or my dad or anybody, whoever was, was treating my woundedness, I felt like they didn't care about my frailties. This doesn't seem like a sensitive solution. 
So what would I prefer? Oh, just rub some Vaseline that has no antiseptic qualities whatsoever. But guess what that's going to result to? Future infection, because all I'm doing is just covering the wound, but I'm not caring for it. We need to be reminded that the quality of God's plan is backed by an eternity of wisdom. He has not left off any of the details. He has not forgotten any of the particulars. When God speaks his word and applies a solution to our brokenness, he not only understands every aspect of the break, every aspect of solution, but every aspect of how it might impact you as well. He has considered that you are frail, that you are but dust. He has fully considered your past pain, your past trauma, your current struggles. He has fully considered all of the costs and the ups and downs. He has fully considered every aspect of how his truth and his solution will indeed impact your life. God's solution for our lives is not bereft of an eternity worth of wisdom. He didn't just wake up for him and go, oh, wait a minute, I got this idea. I got to call Rod and tell him how we're going to fix this. Now, it's an eternity's worth of wisdom that stands behind what our God speaks. But a deep desire to have God to confirm our bias and our plan will cause us to dodge his word. And guess what happens? Because Ahaziah would not demote himself in devotion to God's word, God demoted him and he dies off the throne rather than demoting himself off the throne. One of the things that I, that I love about this passage, if you read further down, and I, I may have said this earlier, but I just want to say it again, like God fully intended to work favorably as it appears in Ahaziah's life, even though he was an evil man. Because the words of the scripture are, because you didn't come to me, you're going to die. It wasn't like, hey, if you had came to me, I could have given you the FYI, I could have given you the heads up that this wasn't going to end well. No, he says, because, as a cause that you didn't seek me. So now, Ahaziah, obviously a wicked king, who falls and finds himself on the negative side of God's will. What's going on with Elisha? Now, real quick, I know that at times I can speak with a certain uh, inflection, maybe even an accent at times, but Elijah and Elisha are two different people. Just in case you didn't catch that in Sunday school, two different people. Now, what's beautiful about the difference is the beauty in their name is going to come out later in the message, but I want you to remember that Elijah and Elisha are two different people, and they are two different people for a very necessary way. But Elisha, very interestingly, when the scriptures inform us that he has become aware that God is going to take his leader and his discipler away, Elijah begins to demonstrate some real insecurity about Elijah's departure. And he clings to him. They go from place to place. They go from Gilgal to Jericho, from Jericho to Bethel, from Bethel to Jordan. And then finally, Elijah turns and says, hey, man, what do you want? Why do you keep following me from place to place, even though I'm telling you to stay so that I can go? And he says, man, would you just, would you just bless me with, double, with a double portion? And Elijah makes a, a proposition or a promise that he would if he sees certain things. And of course, he receives that double portion. But follow me carefully. Elisha, as mightily as God would use him and as mightily as he would want to use some of us, operated in an insecurity toward God's will. And this is also the case for us. Elijah, 
exemplifies for us this tendency, that when we have a, uh, a lack of readiness to do God's will, we must ensure that it does not become a resistance to God's will. Whenever God wants to do something bigger than what we could have possibly imagined in our lives, it always feels like we're unready. As a matter of fact, God is regularly stretching us beyond the unready because he needs to keep us on our, not on our toes, but on our knees. Well, we are regularly reminded of our need for him. He's always taking us to bigger assignments that are beyond our current capacity. And so Elijah, with the SHA, models this kind of insecurity. And so here it is. Our lack of readiness to do God's will should never turn into a resistance to that will. And there's some principles for my note takers that you'll see here on the screen. Why does Elijah want to cling to Elijah? Wanting to cling to what God is doing now and very uncomfortable with what he is getting ready to do next. Elijah isn't the last one to do this. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he was met on the road by Mary. She fell down and wrapped her hands around him and fell down before him. And he says, do not cling to me for I must be ascended to my father. There's more work that I have to do. The disciples would have loved for Jesus to have hung around for the rest of their lives, eating fish, showing them how to catch big catches, hiding out underground, having subsequent sequel last suppers, enjoying wine, working miracles, doing all the stuff they did back in the good old days. And Jesus goes, no, I must be ascended to my father. And then the disciples go, well, will you now restore the kingdom to, uh, will God now restore the kingdom to Israel? This is early Acts, Acts chapter 1, and Jesus goes, no, that's not for you to know. But when I'm ascended, the Holy Spirit's coming down because you've got greater work to do than what you saw me do. So there's always been this tendency and this, this tendency to be insecure about what God is doing next. And there's also been this tendency to want to hold on to what God is doing now because we're afraid of what's coming next or not feeling ready for what's next. Number two. We must be careful that we are not in the business of transferring confidence from the Lord to the leader. Number three, forgetting, this is what gives us insecurity in advancing into God's will, forgetting that if God is the one calling, then he's also one who will do the equipping. What Elisha would immediately learn once he demoted his will and Elijah went away is that God would give him double what his master had and he would be duly equipped. I can imagine not only was Elisha insecure about having to carry on this prophetic ministry in Israel, but he may have also just been uncomfortable about the fact of having to do it alone because this person he had grown deeply into relationship with was going to be away from him. But what he didn't realize is that was necessary for the continuance of what God wanted to do in Israel. We also, Elijah also didn't realize that, he's not realizing that Elijah's absence would equal even more of God's presence for him. Elisha would experience more of God than he ever had when Elijah was gone. Do you recognize that that's the story of the church as well? That when Jesus is ascended, those who follow him would experience more of his presence through the Holy Spirit than they ever would by trying to all camp around a singular presence there in Galilee. Five, why do we have insecurity and a lack of readiness to do God's will in some instances? 
we get lost in the how and lose sight of the who. We're always trying to imagine how it is that God is going to do this, and we lose sight of who it is that is doing it, recognizing that there will be absolutely no lack of equipment, no lack of peace, no lack of anything that we need with the one, if God is the one doing the equipping. I'd express it this way. What Elisha needed to see, what I needed to see, even what Ahaziah needed to see was this, is that the biggest story of God's plan is always a better story than my plan. The bigger story of God's plan, what is God doing, is always a better story than my plan. Uh, Ephesians puts it this way, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we are able to ask or think, unto him now, uh, uh, based on the, the power that is at work that is within us. God is able to completely cook our circuits and do something that is well beyond anything that we could ever imagine or think or even ask. We can't even articulate something that's big enough to accommodate the big story of God and what he's doing. But we grow comfortable with the current story. Why is this necessary to appreciate? Elijah, E-L-I-J-A-H, means the Lord is my God or God is my Lord. And we saw through the ministry of Elijah the sovereignty of God on display, his largeness above and beyond any other gods in Israel and the surrounding lands, over and over again, causing uh, uh, Elijah to win battles and clearly punctuate his name as being the true sovereign God who sits on the throne of heaven and should be sitting in, on the throne of the heart of whoever was running Israel. Elisha's name means that same God who is sovereign is now the God of my salvation. God desires to continue the story. It couldn't stop with Elijah. God desires to continue to communicate even with the people who constantly deviate from his will. Is that not an incredible blessing? Look at the bigger story. Elijah wants to delay Elijah's departure, but he doesn't get in the way. He doesn't understand he's getting in the way of how God wants to talk, not only to Israel, but also to the nations. Look at God going against the grain. Why is he committed to leaving a prophet amongst a people who seem to never want to obey anyway? Because God is committed to never leaving nor forsaking his people, but to always give them a word, always give them a witness, always give them an opportunity to return if they should repent, always being there even when they don't want him there. Can you see the continuation of the story through these two prophets? And Elijah is very much a part of that story. God wants to continue. I'm not just the sovereign God, I'm also the saving God. And so what the Bible allows us to do, if you will continue to read your Bibles even after this series is over, you'll see that in the life of Elisha, that the same God begins to work to him so powerfully, healing and resurrecting and raising and doing crazy things, um, wonderful exploits, and he shows his not just sovereign power, but his saving ability as well. And so this is why we call the message to be continued, because God wants to continue to speak to his people, even though they don't want to hear from him. What an incredibly loving, kind, and powerful gesture. Think about you and your seasons of extended disobedience. Let me just, maybe it's just too historical for you. Let me make it personal. Think about your deepest, darkest hours of doing the dumbest things that you could possibly imagine. 
a demonstration of absolute bullheadedness, running away from God, and he still seemed to bring people into your lives that would speak. You had slammed close your Bibles, put them in your trunk, underneath your spare, hopefully to never see it again. You zipped by the church, you passed by, you popped around, you never wanted to hear from a pastor again, and God kept pestering you, letting you know that he was still interested in the conversation. Have you ever seen that in your life? God is committed to a continuous conversation. We can run from God all we want, but he will just simply run to us and continue to talk to us. But why does he do that? And what does he want us to do in response to that? In much the same way that Elijah had to go up that his spirit would come down. We see Jesus sharing it with his disciples. And then we, we look at the life of Jesus and I see this. I see John the Baptist coming on the scene. And as soon as he sees what God is doing next, you know what John the Baptist says? I must decrease that he must increase. In other words, I'm gonna demote myself that I can be more devoted to what God is doing. Jesus, while we see it projected in the lives of John the Baptist, we see it projected in the life of Elijah, we see it perfected in the life of Christ. Here's how, Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. And going out a little further, he, that is Jesus, fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus perfected what it meant to serve a demotion to his own will, that there might be a total devotion to the Father's will. And in him demoting himself, he then creates an opportunity for us. He, he goes to the cross, he, he dies in our place, he, he experiences the ultimate of demotions. The king of the universe finds himself being chided on the cross, wearing the sins of sinners that should never be his. And then once he dies on that cross, a despicable death, right? Not a quiet death, not a low-key death, but a despicable public death. He is then raised from the dead, and the Bible says because of his personal demotion, he then receives a promotion and receives a name that is above every name, that at that name, every knee in heaven and every tongue should confess. They'll bow, declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So what we decide is, what we see is, that when we're willing to demote our will and be devoted to his will, we actually get a promotion. So, the gospel itself is an appeal to demote my will because that's what the son did. And then the Bible tells us that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead resides in those who place faith in him. And so here's what I believe the, the appeal is, that if we belong to Christ, that we must be regularly about the business of demoting our own will to promote God's will and to be devoted to it further. So I want to close today's message with a question, a question and our application. What do I, what do you need to demote in my own will in order to promote God's? 
I want to pray for us in that regard. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you search each one of us? Show us why we've chosen to be the kings of our own castle, and you're calling us to demotion. By your spirit, you're, you, you want to move us into, you want to realign us with an assignment that better serves the kingdom of God and is best suited for who we are, which is your servants. Lord God, show me the areas of my life where I need to be demoted. And I'm the one who needs to do the demotion. I need to lay down my will, Lord God, to be devoted to yours. As our prayer team is moving to their respective places, if you feel the need to pray with someone, will you go now? You've got something that you're holding on to that you feel like is a better solution, and you know better than that. And you want to pray with somebody that says, Lord, I officially demote myself. I've been dodging your word, but I, I, I give myself a demotion. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. I want to be devoted to your will. Go to somebody on the prayer team. Maybe you're a person here today, and, and you're saying, oh, Pastor Rod, it ain't just one thing. My whole life ain't nothing but just a tapestry of me doing my own thing. I don't have individual stuff. I need to be, I need to, in total, myself need to be demoted. I've been living as the king or queen. I don't even believe, I, 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 I don't know Jesus as Lord. I don't know him as king. I know him as a person that I come to on occasion when I feel like I'm in trouble, hoping that he has a favorable word, but I don't know him as my king and savior. If that's you, would you go see somebody on our team? I want to know what it means to hand over my life to Christ and become more devoted to him. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, there's not a single one of us in here who is perfected in this way. Would you point to the areas where we need to demote our own will and become more devoted to yours. Would you make it plain to us? Make it plain to us, oh God, that we would not only pray it, but we would write it down. We would journal it. We would put it in the back of our Bible. We would put a little star next to the verse or the passage. Lord God, would you point it out to us? And would you teach us how to get over our insecurity about what the next chapter of your will would be for our lives? Remind us that if you're calling us to an uncomfortable space, you're going to send the comforter to be with us in that space. Help us, Jesus. Help us be like your son and to, to demote our will so we can promote and become more devoted to your will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.